Hey everyone, welcome to the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rob Clark, and with us as always, Ed Katz. Ed, how you doing today? Hello, Rob Clark. I hope you're having a good Saturday. Today's Saturday. We're working on Saturday because we, we love doing what we're doing, and we don't care that it's Saturday, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly. We love doing this, having this conversation, being able to share it with other people. Hopefully, they get something out of it. And I think today's topic is going to be a great topic for discussion because I think this is something that, you know, any of us in business and in a job at some point has had this thought come across their mind. And for the listeners who are listening to it, they saw the title and I mean, Ed, want to get rich quick, right? Just start your own business. Isn't that the way to do it? That's the title. Get rich quick. Start and, a business. And and people can tell by, you know, the get rich quick scheme. People have heard that that before. Um, there's something more to the story here. So huge undertone, uh, I can tell there, Ed. Would that be true? Uh if you're referring to an undertone of sarcasm, not that I <laughs> Ed Katz would ever be sarcastic, but yes, you're right. <laughs> Uh, if I can tell you the rest of the story, may, may I have your oh, permission? Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to hear this. Well, it all started back when we, we started Peachtree Movers. And I had a silent partner. A lot of people don't know that. I had a silent partner initially. And, you know, my background with the moving industry, if, if our folks have listened to any of the other podcasts, is I really started off entry level. I was a mover helper not a driver, a mover helper. And I did that for several weeks. Then I moved up to driver. And as a driver, you're still really a mover helper. They say you're, you're running the job. And then I worked up and became a salesperson. And I also supervised the jobs that I booked. <clears throat> I ultimately opened up a branch for the company I was working for. Uh, 50 miles south of Atlanta. So I was a general manager. And I did all that within in eight months. So at least I knew what I was getting into when I started Peachtree Movers with this silent partner. And it's amazing because I don't know if it was luck or my ability or some other intervening variable, but we cornered the market. It's like in Atlanta, office moving at the time was the stepchild of all the other movers. They did it as fill-in business where we focused on mostly local office moving. So we were really successful. We were we were hitting it out of the ballpark. And um, you know what happened? I became a legend in my own mind. It's like <laughs> everything Ed Katz touched turned to gold, you know, because we were really successful. <laughs> One day, my silent partner uh, came to us, came to me and said, look, you're so successful. You're so great. You're so wonderful. Oh, he was really smart, wasn't he? He said, we have another business opportunity. He said, we could easily become millionaires overnight. And um, that sounded good to me. So without knowing anything about his proposal. He said, there's a courier company in New York City that's extremely successful called Purolator. And I, when I worked on Wall Street, I saw Purolator cars 
everywhere. They were a very successful company. He said, well, the guy that ran that is moving to Atlanta and we can, he'll be, a, he'll be our operating partner. We'll contribute money. We'll borrow money from the bank and uh, he'll run it. He's an expert. He says he has a proven track record. So it sounded, it almost sounded too good to be true, but you know, millionaire overnight, I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is be okay. a silent partner. Okay. What would you have done? I, I jumped in with both feet. Well, my, so, my question would be, Ed, uh, did you, I mean, other than, than seeing that company around New York and knowing that they must be successful because of the number of cars they had, did you know anything about the courier business, you know, when you kind of, you know, get down to it? I knew absolutely nothing. I was still learning the moving business, but I was told by my <clears throat> silent partner, who was, by the way, an attorney, very intelligent guy, graduated Duke Law School. I mean, come on, these, I have all these experts converging on me and I'm just an average person. So of course I believe that this thing was gonna be a gold mine. You didn't need to know anything. You just needed to give them a little bit of money. That's right. <laughs> You're right. Okay, a, a courier company sounds like you need a lot of cars and people to drive those cars. I mean, how did you get the money to buy all, all of the, you know, that's a lot of capital to start this up. Believe it or not, this was the easiest part of the whole business model. It's hard to believe, but we had a friendly banker. He was president of uh, a bank in downtown Atlanta, and he arranged for us to get a $600,000 SBA loan. Now, let me put that into perspective. That's probably like $6 million today, and it might as well have been $6 million back in 19. 77, 78, because, oh well, my goodness, it wasn't 77, 78. It had to be around 1979, 1980 that I got into this adventure. But anyhow, that aside, uh, in terms of real dollars, that was, had it been 600,000, which it was, or 6 million, if I had to pay it back, I didn't have 600,000. I certainly would not have had 6 million to pay it back. But we borrowed the money, and then I found that. The reason banks were anxious to do loans through SBA at the time, if a bank had a, an SBA loan that they uh, provided and the people who borrowed the money, the, the, uh, the debtors went bankrupt, the bank was insured by the Small Business Administration. So that's like a risk-free loan that a bank is making. So that's, that's Apparently, the reason they were so anxious to loan us the money, they probably didn't make all the interest that they collected because some of that went towards the SBA insurance policy. But anyhow, here we are. There's a total of four of us. There's a, another silent partner. There's a guy who's politically connected. There's the guy who's the operating partner. And there's my silent partner and me. So that's five. I can't even count, right? That's five. That's, that's not five. four. Yep. So anyhow, um, we start this this um, courier company. Oh, okay, Ed. So it sounds like, you know, this is a solid business model that you had the formula to make it successful. I mean, you had the money, you had the person to run it who was had the track history in this industry, right? He knew it very well. And you were in a market that you thought was going to boom in that Atlanta market. So everything went well, I'm assuming? 
Well, it went well till about a month after we started the business. And if I can explain the way this worked, the business model was that we would have, it would look like an octopus. Atlanta would be the hub and we would have tentacles. We'd have arms going out from the center or like a spoke, like an old wagon wheel. So we would have spokes going out from the hub, which was downtown Atlanta. And all over Georgia, Georgia is a pretty big state, we would have these routes set up. And then the idea would be, we would run what they call DDA, financial information deposits that were made during the day at banks all over Georgia. And we would pick them up and run them into the Federal Reserve Bank at night. And then the next morning, we would take the statements from the Federal Reserve and run them back to the banks. So the concept was I guess, pretty ingenious. And the problem was we might go, you know, two and a half hours north of Atlanta with one bank up in some godforsaken town, like like Womack, Georgia or something like that, and or way up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And there was no fill-in business. So that bank, here we have a car and maybe one or two drivers, and we have revenue for one bank because the whole idea was to backfill. Once you got that one bank, then you had to pick up other banks along the way. So here we have overnight, are you ready for this, Rob? We have 50 brand new cars. We have 90 employees. You know, we have the night shift, you know, bringing everything into the Fed. And then the next morning we have a day shift, the drivers taking it back to the banks. We're using 3000 gallons of gasoline a month. And gasoline prices are going higher and higher. Jimmy Carter is our president at the time. And when we borrowed the $600,000, Rob, excuse me, we paid 2% above prime. That doesn't sound bad, 2% above prime. Prime was at 7%. We paid 9%. Well, if you know, if any of you have studied history or you're my age, you know what happened during the Carter administration. We had something called stagflation, no growth in the economy, but very high excessive inflation. And prime went ultimately to 21%. But while we were borrowing the money, it went to 17%. And we were paying 2% above that. So we were paying 19% interest on $600,000. That's $140,000 of interest a year. Gasoline prices are soaring and we differentiated ourselves in the marketplace. Banks were not loyal customers. They wanted one thing, excuse me, the lowest price, the cheapest price. So we were getting not very much revenue. We had these routes, 50 routes all over Georgia. And our whole goal, the operating partner kept saying was we want to backfill. Once we get them all filled in, we're going to make millions. <laughs> Overnight, we are hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging losses. We are hemorrhaging red ink. Okay. Ouch. That hurts. I mean, uh, that's a huge jump from 9% to 19%, but you know, everybody's asking Ed, what did you do to fix that? How did you correct that situation? Yeah, right. <laughs> there wasn't a well, solution. Yeah, right. Well, here I am. I'm still here. So something happened, right? Yeah. (laughs) So here we're feeding this black hole 
we're drawing down all this loan, the $600,000, right, to pay operating expenses and buying these cars and paying for the gasoline and paying salaries, and we're depleting it at a rapid rate. So we at Peachtree Movers, it became our golden cow, so to speak. So all the hard work I did at Peachtree Movers, 80 hours a week I'm working, seven days a week, we're making profits. Every penny of profit that we're making weekly, monthly at Peachtree Movers, we're feeding this monster courier company till it turns around. We're contributing $25,000 a month from Peachtree Movers into this new venture. And you, you just don't realize, you know, I, we, we have these, I remember to this day sitting down with the guy that's the operating partner of the courier company. And he says, oh, looks like next week we're going to turn it around. I'm getting another customer on that one route that goes up to Clayton, Georgia, you know? Yeah. So how long, how long did it take you to turn it around and make well, it profitable? Cause you are still here. So it obviously happened. Yeah, I am still here. Well, this goes on for 11 months. We're at the point where we just decide we're throwing really good Peachtree movers money after bad money. This thing is never turning around. If anything, our operating expenses, we're using even more gasoline and we're, we're, we're losing terribly. You know, we've just about drawn down all the money we borrowed and the little bit of money of $25,000 a month from Peachtree Movers is not enough to keep this thing afloat. So that's when <laughs> I believe there was divine intervention. I really do because I became very spiritual, a, a real believer in, in God because at the last moment, like two weeks later, we're going out of business. We're, we're history. I'm going to lose my house, my company, everything I own. And I'm still going to personally owe all this debt. That's the way it worked. And um, a company by the name of Pony Express, they were a courier company in Metro Atlanta. And one of our uh, politically connected uh, partners talked to the powers that be at Pony Express. And Pony Express, by the way, was owned by a company by the name of Baker Industries. I don't know if anybody ever heard of Malcolm Baker, a very famous entrepreneur, publicly traded company uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. Baker Industries was owned by Borg Warner. So we're dealing like with a huge international company. So we proposed to them, not Ed Katz, but this one of our silent partners proposes to them hey, we'll give you all our customers, we'll give you all our drivers, all our employees, all our cars, and we'll give you all our customers if you'll buy us out. So they looked at our income statement and our balance sheet, and you know what they paid us, Rob? You know how much money we made, want to know? I can't wait, wait to hear this huge number. Go ahead. <laughs> they paid us $1.00. One dollar. So why would we sell to them? I'll tell you why we said we'll sell to them. Because they took over the $600,000 loan, SBA loan from the bank. So they guaranteed the loan. That was going to be the deal. For one dollar, we would get one dollar. So all the money from Peachtree Movers that we put in, probably put in $175,000, $200,000 over the, the 11 months. That money was gone. And all the angst, <laughs> angst, all the 
the stress we went we had over those 11 months but anyhow nothing for your efforts nothing for our efforts and so we lost all the the money that Peachtree made that year that we invested and our, we had uh, you know two of the other partners invested believe it or not $25,000 each per month also so we're we're probably putting $75,000 a month because the operating partner you know he he got a salary by the way but didn't put any money in and then my silent partner he and I together put in the pastry movers profits so we got nothing back for the investment what's ironic is this had pony express waited two more weeks they could have had all of our customers for free and probably bought our cars at auction for a lot less than taking over the debt i don't know but they they thank god they took over our $600,000 debt we were off the debt and i focused on our core business which was running a successful office moving local office moving company called Peachtree Movers that's the story of my life <laughs> okay Ed. so people are you know the listeners are hearing this and going okay you know i, I tuned into this cuz i i'm thinking about or wanting to you know start to consider starting my own business and gosh ed after hearing this it sounds like you're telling me don't ever do that that's not what you're saying here there's just some lessons to be learned that you wanted to share with through this experience and i guess this is a another course in the school of hard knocks would that be fair to say so and oh you, that's that's another gross yeah when, when you understatement rob clark you're great at that yes when you <laughs> attend school at the school of hard knocks you always come away with some very valuable lessons so yes. can you share some of those lessons and experiences yeah. from this here are the nuggets look never ever get into a business that you don't know a lot about look how i started the peace removers i was not an expert but i learned what it was to move furniture i learned what it was to drive a truck i learned what what it was to supervise a crew and deal with a customer i learned what it was what it was all about to be a general manager and to keep it all together so at least when i started peace removers i knew what i was getting into i knew the risks and I knew it well enough to try to avoid problems and, and crises or how to prevent and, them. So I, I knew what I was getting into. And, when what, I, and I wanted to say, Ed, one of the other things you knew from that was the cost, right? What does oh, it yeah. cost to run a company? What does it cost to have an employee? And the things yep. that people don't think about, insurances and different types of insurance that you didn't realize you need to have or, you know, those kind of things. Right. And I'm not saying to be cynical, you know, cynical is how I was after living in New York because you distrust the motives, the motives of everybody. That's, you know, my philosophy is if you have a, if you're building a house, you're framing out a house and you have a barrel of nails. And if you pull the first nail out and it's bent, a cynical person is going to say, Oh, but all the nails in this barrel are bent. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is don't be cynical but be skeptical don't when somebody says to you this is a this is a no can't, risk can't miss opportunity. opportunity yeah can't miss opportunity yeah. yeah you just if you if you don't jump in we're going to find somebody else and they're going to make we're going to make millions you want to miss that opportunity when somebody offers you a get rich quick scheme be extremely skeptical you know, so it goes, down, it goes find back. out what they're doing. Look at their business model, you know, a prospectus, which is, you know, projects 
revenue and costs and all that. Think about this. How this operating partner that ran our courier company, he the, the revenue projections he gave us before we, I didn't never look at it, but everyone else who were the experts, you know, silent partners, they said, oh, these are great revenue projections. We didn't even have a tenth of those revenue projections. Oh, the costs were accurate. We had all these costs because of the way they started the business with all these routes and all these cars and all these employees. But these revenue projections were insane, were crazy. So drill down, find out what you're getting into, be skeptical. And you know anybody that says you're going to get rich quickly, very few people in the long term get rich quickly. It just doesn't work that way. And it's kind of the old thing, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Right. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing was I found when we had our weekly meetings, I was in la la land. I would like listen to the BS from the operating partner about any day. Now we're going to fill in all these routes and turn it around and we're going to show a big profit. Well, he told us all what we wanted to hear. And then I went back to my job, my hard job at Peachtree Movers, you know, um, Either he was a great salesperson, the guy that ran the courier company, or he was incompetent, or both. I don't know. You know, interestingly enough, he still got his salary every week. You know, thanks and to Peachtree. The other thing is this: don't borrow money that you can't afford to lose. That is so important. We, I never thought about losing Peachtree Movers or my house or all my assets or having my my salary garnished for the rest of my life to pay off this $600,000 loan. I mean, it was, it was just crazy. Um, again, if it hadn't been for um, Pony Express buying us out, had we gone bankrupt, that bank would have come after all the four of us and seized any assets that they could seize. That was, we personally guaranteed the loan. So I probably would have lost you know, as I said earlier, I would have lost pastry movers, my house, my car, my marriage. My marriage probably would have ended a lot earlier than it did. Well, here, here's a question I have that I think may be popping into the minds of the listeners. You know, as we went through this story that, that you had to go through, uh, we hear you talking about partners a lot. If somebody's going to start a business, do, do you have a thought on should you have partners or a partner or should you try to, you know, come up with a plan that allows you to be the sole proprietor of the business you want to start? Well, most people are not going to like my answer, but my experience, now you have to understand, I've, I have taught more than 3000 students with my in-person training seminar. I, I have, you know, hundreds of clients and I get to know most, most of my clients. And a lot of them were partnerships. I started as a partnership. I ended up five years later buying my partner out because I did all the work. And you want to hear how we set this deal up? I was so naive. This is back now, 1976. So everything, you know, cost of living was different then than it is now. But I, I really liked this guy. He and I were really good friends. He was honest as the day is long, just a super nice guy. He was an attorney, uh, very intelligent, well-liked. So the deal was this. We both 
pledged $12,500 worth of stock from the New York Stock Exchange that we had invested. He had his portfolio, I had mine. So we went to a bank called CNS Bank. We both collateralized a $25,000 loan with our stock. So we turned that stock over to the bank. They held it, held it as collateral and in return loaned us $25,000. We did that so we could establish credit. So that was his sole contribution. I thought he was going to be my partner at work and help me run the company, but we carried a small credenza into the office and he hurt his back. He said, carrying it, you know something? I never saw him again. I never saw the guy. Wait, wait, again. when you say never, how long are we talking? Well, for five or six years. I mean, are you we really, I mean, he, he had no intention of helping me run the business. So, and so here I am working, you know, 80 hours a week, killing myself, all the stress of not knowing what I was doing. You know, we covered that in other podcasts. And I paid myself $10,000 salary a year. That was it. And every penny of profit over and above that, he and I split 50-50. So I thought, well, that sounds okay. Meanwhile, we start making serious money. We're making, you know, two, three $300,000 a year. And he's getting half of that for doing what? He helped borrow money from the bank and that was it. And I thought, that's not fair. So my experience, and so that's why five years later, I said, hey, I want to buy you out. And we didn't have a buy-sell agreement. So guess what he said? Well, no, he's got money coming no. in. And I said, well, you, you know, that's not fair. And he said, yeah, but that was our agreement. So I was the bad guy. I said to him, if you don't let me buy you out, you're going to have to buy me out. That's called a shotgun. Let's like, you know, either you're going to let me buy you out at a fair price or you're, uh, you're going to buy me out. And of course, if he bought me out, he'd be left with, he didn't, I used to tease him. I said, you don't even know where the address of the business is because that's how little I saw of him. Okay. I, he wouldn't be able to run the, the moving company. And, and my, my intention was if he didn't let us be buy him out, I would just walk away from it, start another company. That's all. So ultimately I bought him out for a hundred thousand dollars of my personal money, which we had to borrow from another bank and we bought him, I bought him out. And I have clients over the years where they were best friends in high school, uh, just got along really well. One partner did 99% of the work. The other one reaped the benefits of the other one that did all the work. So what happens in my life is I have found that in most partnerships, one of the partners is working a lot harder in running the business. And that pre creates bad feelings, ill will, you know, between the one that's doing all the work and has all the responsibility and all the stress and the one that's reaping the benefits. My advice is this, unless you have no other option, no other alternative, don't have partners. Don't have partners. It might take you longer to get a loan. It might take you longer to save money to start the business. But I have seen over the years in so many of my clients' operations, when there's partners involved, even if they're best friends, even if they're brothers, even, you know, family members, partnerships, in my experience, just don't work. Now, that's probably going to be I'll probably get a lot of hate emails that, you know, so-and-so are partners and they love each other. And I, I understand their exceptions. I'm just giving you what I've experienced. So my first advice is 
if you're going to start a business, try not to have partners unless you have no other option. Secondly, you got to understand cash flow. They say cash is king. You know, if you're an office mover and you're billing out $100,000, $200,000 a month in revenue, that money is not in your company. It takes clients sometimes 30, 60, 90, maybe 120 days till they pay you. In the meantime, you're paying salaries weekly. You're paying utility companies, gas, electric, water monthly. You're paying rent monthly. And if that money is in the hands of your customers and not in your company, what are you going to do to pay the payables? Companies that grow real fast can go bankrupt because they don't have the cash operating money in the business to pay for it. So I'm thinking to myself, I wish I had gone to uh, business school and gotten an MBA instead of an MPA, which was worthless. You know, I, I have a degree in international affairs, whoopee do, totally unrelated to running a business. But I have spoken to a gentleman, his name is David Durier. And I've, we talked about him in an earlier podcast. He wrote 60 Minutes CFO. I urge anybody starting a business or even buying an existing business to read his book. It's called 60 Minute CFO. Because even if I had an MBA, I still would not have learned what I needed to learn in running a business. This guy, David Durier, takes what you said, baby steps. He takes he takes something that's very complex and he regurgitates it into something that every person running a business, buying a business, starting a business can understand. So you know what it really takes financially, financially. This guy is a genius, an expert. Well, what I get from what you just said, Ed, what's resonating with me is uh, the word that comes to mind is patience. Be patient when you're starting a business. Sometimes you have a little bit of success and you want to kind of create that snowball effect. You're like, man, we can make this and make, you know, we can just go out and kill it. But as you said just a moment ago, that may not be the right strategy for the reason you said cash flow, you know, being right. able to have that operating right. expense. So being patient and letting it grow at a pace that uh, you can continue to operate and take care of the things and grow kind of organically versus trying to just, you know, be that home run hitter every time. And, and this guy, David Durier, I, I can't say enough great things about him. I have no personal agenda here. I get no commission. No what? Kickback. Yeah, I'm telling <laughs> you. Read, read his book because I'm telling you, I'm reading it right now and I can't put it down, really, honestly. You know, one other postscript, and we've talked about maybe this will be a future podcast, but in 2011, it was like somebody pulled the plug on my revenue stream, which was teaching in-person seminars. We were in a major recession and I had to do something for a living. So I had savings and I needed income. So I jumped into buying foreclosed and short sale homes that I in turn rented out. But after my bloodbath and my terrible experience with my Georgia Courier company from years ago, I said, uh-uh, I'm not going to get into this until I learn the business. So there was a guy in Atlanta named John Adams, and I took several of his courses, and I took copious notes, and I learned it, and I mastered it, so that when I ended up buying these rental homes, I knew what I was getting into. It gets back to, again, just like I started the Peachtree Movers, 
I got the training before I jumped in. I got the knowledge, the experience. What I got from the courses that, that he taught, I got a lease that was a legal lease that worked for the state of Georgia. I got letters and communications that I could use if the tenant was late if they didn't pay the rent on time. Now, let me give you one example from John Adams that's so brilliant. So ready for this? Landlords have trouble collecting rent from their tenants. You know, they're supposed to pay on the first of the month. So now it's the fifth of the month. Are you going to evict them? Are you going to send them a, a threatening letter from an attorney that says, if you don't pay the rent within so-and-so hours or days, you're going to be evicted? He made that problem go away. He said, look, tell all your tenants, if they get you the rent check to you on or before the first of each, each month, they'll give you a you'll give them a $55 discount. So guess what? All my tenants, not all of them, but most of them prepaid their rent. They would send me post-dated checks for the next six, nine, 12 months. And I would hold them in my possession and I wouldn't deposit them until the first of the month. And they got a $55 discount. So just theoretically, if the rent was $1,255 a month, that was the official rent, their discounted rent would be $1,200. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. So that way, every month, I'm not running to the mailbox worrying, are they going to pay? Are they going to pay? Are they going to? I have the checks in my possession. And guess what? If for some reason it's a holiday weekend, like Memorial Day weekend, and their money is not going to be in the account on the first, they'll call me and say, hey, can you help me out? I'm not getting paid till Friday. Can you sit on my check for three or four days? Of course I do, because I have their check in my possession. And just because of the holiday weekend, they're being delayed when they get their salary hitting, hitting their checking account. So these are this, that's just one nugget I got from John Adams, which was wonderful. So again, to recapitulate, review, summarize, learn the business before you start a business, become an employee, work in all aspects of the business before you start the business. Can I ask work, you one, um, one more question? Else. One more question, if you don't mind. Of course. So, you know, obviously when, when you're, you're thinking about starting a business, you want to put pen to paper and create a business plan, kind of detailing how you see this business going. And, how important is it to get somebody else who has knowledge in that industry or just a financial person to kind of review what you're putting together to make sure that you're kind of on the right track? Oh, I agree. And I would not necessarily go to, to somebody like a friend for that advice because friends are going to say, like Rob, if you said, hey, I'm going to start a business, I'm emotionally involved. I really like Rob Clark. So, and I know that's his, his baby, his dream. I'm not going to burst his balloon by saying, I don't think so, Rob. I don't <laughs> yes, think you I would. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, but most people, because you're asking somebody who is emotionally involved and right. they know you're excited about it. You need to go to somebody that is objective. And one of the ways you can do that is you can do it this way. I, I, I could go to you, Rob, and say, I have a friend who's thinking of starting a business. Maybe it's really Ed Katz. But I could go to you and say, I have a friend, or there's a guy who said that he's thinking of starting an audiovisual social media business, Rob. So Rob doesn't think it's me, even though it's really me. 
And I said, can you look at the financials? Can you look at the prospectus? Can you look at his business model? Well, now that I said to Rob, I have a friend or I have a contact who's thinking of starting a business, look at it. Rob would be a lot more objective in his response and evaluation of what I just showed him as opposed to um, if I said to him, I'm, I'm starting this new business. What do you think, Rob? I think it's going to be great. We want to look at it. What do you think he's going to say? He's going to make me feel even better, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to get an, an, an objective uh, evaluation. No, I totally agree with that. Um, Ed, this has been fun. I think it's been very educational. I, I've learned some things, and I, I, I love your your uh, referral to David Duray's Duray's Duray's. How do we say that? Well, let's hope we're not butchering his name. I was calling him Durier. Durier. Let me spell it: D U R Y E E D U R Y E E. David A. Durier. Durier. Oh, you got me mispronouncing it. <laughs> Durier. And his book is Sixty Minutes. CFO. Yeah, if you go to Amazon and just type in 60 Minute CFO, which is what I did, uh, you can find it right away. And, and I was uh, uh, surprised, Ed, that he actually, I don't know if it's a chapter in the book or if it's an actual different book, looked like a different book that was specific to the moving industry. Yeah, he's, he, uh, I'm reading the one right now, I believe that is sanitized. It's generic for any company, any industry. But I believe he has one specific also to the movie industry. So yeah. different ones out there. Well, great conversation. I think uh, it gives some people who might be thinking about uh, starting a business, you know, some more nuggets to kind of chew on and, and really make sure they have their ducks in a row before they pull the tr trigger on doing something. So really appreciate the conversation today. Fun as always. Well, thank you, Rob Clark. And thank you, listeners. And I hope you get some value out of this podcast. Yep, and we will see you on the next one. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until that next podcast, go sell another move. <laughs>